1: Welcome to Continuous Play's Romantic Comedy Retrospective, Pretty Woman, featuring Anna McCoy. Yes,
0: I can check that off my list of things to do.
1: And Jay Newcastle.
0: Oh, come on!
1: We'll review the plot, talk about the themes, and give you our recommendation for further viewing. ContinuousPlayPodcast.com and Continuous Play are not affiliated with any movie, television, book, music, or publishing related company. All properties are copyright and trademark of their respective owners, and all rights are reserved.
0: Welcome into Continuous Play Podcast, romantic comedy retrospective. I'm Jay, and
2: I'm Anna,
0: and we are glad you have joined us and downloaded this here. As we're going to talk about four of our favorite chick flicks, romantic comedies, if you will. We're starting with uh, one of the kings of that that era. Pretty Woman, uh, directed by Gary Marshall, starring, of course, Richard Gere, Julia Roberts, Hector Elizondo, Jason Alexander, Laura Sanji and Como, Released in 1990, a worldwide blockbuster made over 170 million dollars in its lifetime. It's actually made almost 480 million dollars. A huge, huge movie, Anna, and it was the thing that launched Julia Roberts into the stratosphere.
2: It was 20- twenty.
0: 20 years ago. Can you believe this movie's 20 years old? This thing has taken on a life of its own and really has done well. Before we get deep into it here, we probably should start with a little plot summary. This may be the simplest plot summary we've done here on Continuous Plays. I'm going to hit this real quick. Richard Gere plays Edward Lewis, a man who's successful at everything in life except relationships. We even get to see him break up with a woman over the phone. Um, he is in Los Angeles from New York for the week doing business. Um and while he's there, he has a lot of social events to attend. He needs an escort. He needs someone, but he can't find anyone. He's sort of blowing it off because, again, he's not good at relationships. He's lost on Hollywood Boulevard in Beverly Hills trying to find his hotel, and he gets directions from a hooker, played, of course, by Julia Roberts. The hooker's name's Vivian. Not only does she give him directions, she gets in the car and basically drives him to the hotel. They strike up a conversation, kind of hit it off. He invites her in for the evening, but not so much for the sex. As he wants some company, he realizes this is the perfect, as he as she calls it, the beck and call girl for the week. He hires her um, for $3,000 to w- basically be his employee for the week. He buys her clothes, he showers her with gifts, and he basically shows her off as, as arm candy all week. All along, he's involved with business, and they get to know each other. And as they get to know each other, they do everything they can to not fall in love with each other. But, of course, ultimately they do. And that is the basic plot of Pretty Woman, and we'll get into the details as we go but I got to start with this Anna what, when was the first time you saw this movie we just said it was 20 years old when did you first experience it what were your thoughts then Have they held up over time
2: I'm trying to think. I know I didn't see it in theaters. I think I was a teenager and I saw it on TV. Kind of like your experience with Caddyshack. Yeah. In rerun, I think I probably saw it on TBS or ABC or something where they cut out all the bad words and the nudity and stuff. And I saw it then. And I've since then seen it. Theatrical release version. I just, it has held up to be quite honest. I actually just watched it yesterday again and... I feel the same way about it as when I was like 15 and watching it and I, I really and I don't think this is one unlike Caddyshack where the clean version takes that much away and maybe that's attributed to the story being pretty good.
0: I would agree with you there. I, I think uh, I was 14 when this came out. I think I saw it when I was like 16. And I want to say I saw it on television first as well, and then I saw it later on like in college or whatever. Of course, I saw the, the rated version or whatever you want to call it. And I never really noticed much of a difference. And you watch it now, there's there's some language in this thing, and there's some tense situations, but there's not there's not a lot of stuff to get in the twist over. And I agree with you. It doesn't take a lot away from it to to have seen it on television first. This is one of those that was the date movie. If you were going to rent one and and watch it together, like when you were later in high school, when I was in high school and in college, everybody wanted to watch this movie. And, mm-hmm. like we said, it made Julia Roberts this huge superstar. It, it, it wasn't lost on Richard Gere. He was already a star, but I think people named him Sexiest Man Alive a couple of dozen times after this. I mean, you know, it, it was big for both of them. Um, we said it from the outset. It's directed by Gary Marshall. Gary Marshall, if you don't know, the brother of Penny Marshall, he specializes in romantic comedies.
2: Recent times, he's done like The Princess Diaries, mm-hmm. uh, the, those two movies, and he has a lot of the same people and The Princess Diaries that were actually in Pretty Woman.
0: Yeah, and he's done other things like Runaway Bride. He's done a lot of other movies. And
2: whoop, whoop. he just did that Valentine's Day movie. That's right. Yeah, he, the he did, whole big cast.
0: Yeah, he he's done a little bit of everything, but his thing is the romantic comedy. And, and this is an interesting story. We gave you a plot summary. It's worth noting from the outset here that the original intent of this script, and it floated around Hollywood for almost eight or nine years before it got made, was a dark drama about prostitution in New York. <laughs> and they took it and turned it into this thing. It, it's, I want to tell you right now, there are elements in the director's cut and i'm going to ask you what version you saw and i saw the director's cut watching it for this podcast it, there are things in there that you can tell were cut specifically because they were still holding on to that dark drama. Now, did you watch the theatrical? No, cut or the, I, or I did story? not even
2: know there was a director's cut. Yeah. I didn't know that. I saw the theatrical one.
0: Okay. Well, this will be interesting then because I'll, I'll try to pop in when I know there's different stuff in there. So, okay, but we should, we should start out immediately. Um, one of the things about this film is it was made in 1990. It was basically made in 89. It was released in March of 90. There is nothing about this movie that feels 80s, though. And we've done essentially four 80s films so far here on on Continuous Play. There's nothing about this that feels inherently 80s to me. There's some technology differences, sure. But by and large, I think that's one of the reasons this thing holds up. There's nothing that dates it too terribly.
2: Well, and this is something I would like to touch on, too, when we do Runaway Bride Mm -hmm. later. But, yeah, you, it's. I think that's one reason why it's lasted for 20 years. You don't see something totally 80s, and you don't see something... I don't even see anything 90s, to be perfectly honest. The only thing that really jumps out at me is the humongous, like, Save by the Bell cell phone, you know, yeah. that Richard Gere carries. Um, like you say, technology-wise and stuff. But, um, yeah, they did a very good job of it being... Like, it's constantly set in the present. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't feel like we're going back to 89, 89, 90 or 20 years ago. It feels like it could be done now. And I did notice last time I watched it, some of the fashion, like the ladies yeah. with the hats. And then another thing I noticed um was when she's they do of course the montage Uh. of all the stores on rodeo drive yeah and i noticed like i was trying to look but most of them were like gucci and stuff which of course is still around but i was trying to think um are some of these like not cool anymore or not good designers or (coughs) anything like that so but all in all it could very easily be placed in today in today's time
0: yeah you're, you're the sex in the city fan so i'll leave the fashion critiques to
2: yeah. you <laughs> um, i was trying i was gonna say well if it was in today's day and time there would be um manola but it's
0: yeah. well th- it's worth noting this when this was made julia roberts was 22 richard Gere was 40 um there's about 18 years difference between them and i they play their age in the film, and I—it's I, one of the things I'm going to kind of come back to as we're going through the plot here. I always appreciated about this movie was that they didn't have anybody playing too old or too young. Everybody seemed to play their age group, you know, in a real appropriate way. And I, you know, for all the the um, accolades Julia Roberts has received for this performance, I, I got to tell you. I don't know if Richard Gere was ever better in a romantic comedy than he was in this. He is so good in this. And some of that's got to be uh, attributed to Gary Marshall. There's this famous story that you know Gere was playing it kind of active, and he told him, you know, Julia gets to be active, you get to be kind of still. He played that so well, and he played that uptight businessman, you know, just so well. And in my mind, when I think of that archetype of a person, I always go to this Edward Lewis character.
2: Also, do you think Richard Gere is better when he doesn't take himself so seriously?
0: Well, I think anyone who's starred with him would would agree with that, especially Deborah Winger. But yeah, I, <laughs> I I will I will say that I I got the feeling that he did this and he didn't really take it too seriously. He just had fun with it, and it and it comes off like he's having a good time. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah.
2: <laughs> he, he it seems like he does these more. Um, serious roles like the he does these very suspenseful and dramas and it just seems like he takes himself so seriously and i think maybe that's why this performance is so refreshing because you know maybe he was just saying oh this is just something i'm gonna dial in and get a paycheck for because i'm sure yeah. a lot of act- actors do that unless you're like johnny depp or something yeah but, um maybe he was just dialing in and he didn't take it so seriously and I, he came off with a really good and really strong performance
0: oh yeah he did and and we should say uh, you know he was the star in this thing he oh, was, yeah, he's top billing for a reason he's coming off of the wave of officer and gentlemen, gentleman and i think he'd done summersby and a few other things he'd done a lot of stuff at this point this is before he married cindy crawford though and all that other stuff so i mean he's this this was a, a break for him too but let's get into the plot a little bit here we, we meet edward right out of the gate He's had a party of his lawyer who lives and works in L.A. Edwards, based in New York. They are basically corporate raiders. Like, if you can imagine Gordon Gecko from Wall Street but not sleazy or as sleazy, that's sort of what these guys do. They buy companies that are struggling and then sell them off piece by piece because the parts are worth more than the whole. And then he's in town to do that again, this company they've been working on for a year. And he's at his lawyer's place. And the lawyer's played by Jason Alexander. He's in this, and he plays the lawyer, Phil Stuckey. And you're at a party, and you get to see everybody kind of milling about. And Stuckey's, you know, trying to be sleazy lawyer guy. But but he's also, he, he, I call him sleazy lawyer. He's actually just playing his part. I mean, he, he's ruthless and, and aggressive, and that's what he's supposed to be. He's trying to make sure Edward's having a good time, though, because he knows him. He's known him for 10 years, and he knows this is not his kind of function. Edward's there alone, and that's where we get to see him break up with the girl over the telephone. And like you said, the Zach Morris cell phone. You know, yeah. and He breaks up with the girl over the phone. With the woman over the phone, he bumps into one of his former girlfriends, and it, he's been accused of, you know, I talked to your secretary more than you, and he asked her that. Oh, that was a great line. She said, oh, your secretary was one of my remember <laughs> I mean, That was a great line, and we've set this guy up within two minutes to let you know he is a workaholic. He's driven, he's polite, but he he's not good at relationships.
2: Right, and isn't that typical that yeah. a man or woman, that the driven career orientated person is not very good at relationships
0: yeah it's a trope all the way and and they use it quite well here it works because they they sell it to you but then they don't beat you over the head with it too much and that's we'll get to the extended cut as we go they they keep referencing it and that thankfully they've cut a lot of that out and i kind of see why they did now he drives off in the lawyers lotus esprit turbo and i want to tell you something and my brother's a big foreign car guy I remember in 1990 he saw this before I did he told me he said man this is the coolest car ever I knew about the car before I knew about the movie so that is so cool to see him in this car but he doesn't know where he's going he doesn't know how to drive
2: it yeah he can't drive a stick shift
0: yeah can you drive a stick shift no. Okay, see, I, I'm, I'm one of the only people I know that can, but I remember learning how in grinding gears and all that, and if you've ever been in one or been with somebody that doesn't know what they're doing, that it's that awful sound. Yeah. Well, he's driving around, and he can't find I- anywhere to go, and he's lost, and on Hollywood Boulevard, um, he bumps into this uh, hooker, but now we, we're introduced to her in some form earlier. We see this woman... Waking up in bed, I'll go ahead and tell y'all now. If you think that's Julia Roberts' legs, you're you're wrong. The first time you see her on screens when she's putting on the eye makeup, that is. A, and
2: even no. on the um
0: the cover, yeah, that's not the her.
2: Cover of the DVD, that's not or the video, that's not her. That's her head superimposed on someone else's body. And I think all through all the scenes, there's lots of scenes where you just see her body parts, like when she's getting dressed and trying on the clothes. And there's one scene where she's naked, but She's just wearing a tie or something. Yeah. Um, that Those are all body doubles. Those are not – that is not her body.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's very little of actual Julia Roberts' body in there. So there's a couple of things. We'll, we'll get to those. But she – yeah, you don't really see her. But you see her getting dressed, and you see this woman in this sort of run-down apartment putting on her, her ho gear, I called it, um, to go out for the night. She's put on this wig, and she goes out the back step because – the landlord's there collecting rent. They ain't got the rent money because uh, her roommate's taken off with the cash. We learn later. Anyway, she's she meets up with her. They're walking around in the uh, on the street, and he drives up in this Lotus. And, of course, she goes up to him and is like, you know, five bucks for directions. And he sort of quabbles with her about that. And she just leans on the car and just like, you know, I'm not lost. And so he gives in, and she hops in the car and drives off or rides off with him. Now, there's a scene. Here's where some of the director cut stuff comes. We meet a character in the bar where she's gone to meet her roommate named Carlos, who's this drug dealer pimp guy. And really, Mm -hmm. if you you see the theatrical release, this is the only time you see him. In the director's cut, he's in about five or six other scenes, and one of them is he starts coming across the street toward where she is, and that prompts her to get in the car. And I'll tell you, I kind of like that one because I always wondered – why does she just jump in his car all of a sudden? I mean, I realize she's a hooker. That's what she's supposed to do. But it, it seemed a little off. That makes a lot more sense when you see the beat before. Here comes this this pimp across the street after her, and she oh. just gets in the car.
2: Also, if you take into consider if we back up before mm-hmm. that, you take into consideration she's talking to Kit, her roommate. Yeah. And that was one of the lines I wrote down. Um, she... He, she goes, Kit's like, you know, Carlos really likes you, and, you know, we've been thinking we need to get a pimp, and uh, Vivian tells her, no, you know, we do it our way. We say who, we say how much, and we say when, yeah. and we don't need a man running our lives. And so that, that right before that, then, as you said, the director's cutscene and walk across the street, then seeing her jump in the car. Yeah, it that- makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. it does. There are a few things that got cut that I think would have made it flow a little bit better, but whatever, they they cut it out. It's ultimately about 6 minutes of the film, but that's, you know, just a few seconds, but it it makes that jump in the car a little more sense. But anyway, she's riding around with him, they're talking and he he's driving and talking to her and we get another inner cut scene. There's this whole talk where he asks her about her profession and they're very open and honest with each other from the get-go cuz he says you know, how much do you girls make these days and what's it like? And she goes through this whole diatribe about safe sex and she goes to a clinic and she's cleaner than half the women he could meet and all this. And it feels a little awkward if it's the first time you see the movie, but it's actually a pretty neat character scene because you get to see him give her this look like he's really impressed that she actually had an answer for his question about how dangerous her profession is good point yeah it's, it's kind of That's a, it's, a good point yeah it's kind I, of a it's again it's one of those scenes that you get why it, it's not in there because the way he plays it is it's it's in that same tone of conversation where it's kind of light her response is really heavy and kind of angry and you get why they would have cut it because it doesn't really fit with the way she plays the rest of the film so the, they cut it I, I think because she didn't really play it right but it's one of those things you can come and go but it's a neat conversation they ultimately get to the point where she is actually driving the car because he can't drive it. They get to the hotel, and there's this great exchange between them where you can tell you got two people that don't know what to say to each other. And it's that awkward little silence, and he's like, see ya, and she's like, see ya later. And then he turns around and goes and gets her off the bus stop bench and and invites her inside. And I love that little... It's just those little looks they started giving each other. It was so—it's kind of cute and silly, but it really sets up the fact that these are two people that are not only bad at relationships, but they don't know how to even start a conversation with the opposite sex. That's normal. Well,
2: uh, saying that, don't. Don't you think in the job description of a hooker, should, you should be able to start a conversation with the opposite sex? Th- I mean, you think, but you think that you
0: think, and I don't know if they're playing that as she kind of digs him a little bit and she doesn't know how to respond. He's not her usual clientele. I took it, you know. <laughs>
2: well, one thing I took to the I've taken from this movie is that. And then, and like I said before, before I watched Runaway brought before this, is um, that he's the one. He's the, got the legitimate profession. He's got this company. He's knows what he's doing. He's ambitious. Yeah, he's bad at relationships, but he's ambitious. He's got this legitimate company. He's in the suit. He's got the culture. He's got all that stuff. And as you go through the movie, I noticed, and, you know, she's just this hooker on Hollywood Boulevard with a safety pin or something holding up her boots or her stockings and stuff. But she's got her act together more than he does. Because you go in and he talks about his therapy and his parents and stuff like that. And she goes in and, and um, like you say, even... And and I think that scene you described earlier where they're talking about the clinic and stuff that would have fit because she goes in and there's a scene we'll talk about later on the hotel room with the dental floss. And she just seems to have her act together. She's like, I don't do drugs. I don't do this. I'm just flossing my teeth or whatever. And mm-hmm. she like fixes his tie and says, um, Oh, how, she's like, how do you know? I'll do that? She's like, oh, I screwed the debate team, but, <laughs> yeah. and he's like, he's kind of like his jaws dropping. She's like, I'm, I'm kidding. I had a grandfather who's nice to me yeah. and stuff like that. Is she? She as you go through the movie, she just seems to have her act together. yeah she's a prostitute, but he just seems to have all this baggage. She's baggage. She's bad at relationships. His parents just screwed him up. I think his dad left for his secretary. Yeah. He had to go to therapy just to say he was angry with his father <laughs> and stuff like that. And, you know, she's had all these hardships and she's streetwalking Hollywood Boulevard. But I think that's something he realizes as this movie goes on, but she's got her stuff together and he really doesn't. Well, and you
0: see that even the first night they're together. She's all about, yeah. let's, let's get down to business and all this. And he's like, Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. And he's, th- slamming on the brakes and ultimately it's it's a great scene where and it's repeated a few times in the film where he goes look how much is it for the whole night because it's a hundred dollars an hour we've established that at this point and she was like you can't afford it and he said try me and she throws out a number 300 bucks and he's like done now we can now we can relax and she's like "Uh, really you know and you get a feeling that this guy material things don't matter to him clearly he's got more than he could ever do anything with he wants company, and they begin to talk. And, and there's this whole thing. She's laying on the floor, having a good time, eating, you know, food and stuff. And he's like working, but he just wanted somebody there. And of course, she, ultimately, she was seducing him. the n- The next day, he's on the phone with his lawyer while she's in the in the bathroom and is swimming in the tub. As she says, singing Prince, which is absolutely hilarious. And, and as a Prince fan, I just I, I find that scene just wonderful. But anyway. He's talking to the lawyer and the lawyer's like, "Look, I know a lot of good girls in town." And he's like, "No, you don't." You know, and he realizes, "I've got the answer to my social event calendar right here. I just need to hire her." The famous negotiation to $3,000 in the tub. And they have this whole conversation about, "You know, I want to hire you for the week. I'll I'll buy you clothes. I'll I'll you're you're basically paid to be my beck and call, you know?" And she Throws out, you know, five thousand dollars, six thousand dollars, and he counters with with uh, something, and it, it ultimately winds up being three thousand. and And he says done, and she just is like, oh, you know, and it's it's more money than she could have ever seen. And you can tell she's got a plan working from the get go, because the first thing she does is after he leaves, is she puts money in an envelope, she calls her roommate, says, "Come get the rent money," and she starts squirreling away stuff. She's making plans to get out of that life. And they set that up early, and they keep going back to it with her. And you make a great point. He's kind of lost in his own world, and the only thing he knows is all of his work. you know. And, and I don't have any idea what in the world he's doing, because he's not a lawyer, and he's got law- – I don't know what the guy's doing, but he's working all the time. He's lost, in that. that's the only thing he knows – well, she doesn't care about her work. She's got the rest of her life planning out in front of her, and she's trying to figure it out as she goes. Even though she says she's a real fly-by-the-seat-of-her-pants kind of girl and stuff, she's really not. Vivian's trying to get out and do something else with her life, and she realizes this is the golden ticket to 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 that, that movement, this $3,000. So he has hired her. To go and do this, and it's it's a or to be his his escort for the week, and it, it was a great scene. The next thing that happens is one of the best characters in the film is played by Hector Elizondo, the hotel manager Barnard Thompson. I love that where he's trying to give him the card and it gears and blows him off. She she of course is not supposed to be there because clearly she doesn't dress like people at the big fancy hotel are at, and of course he takes her aside and tries to. Figure out what she's doing there, and I, I felt like they could have made that guy be a complete jerk to her when actually he was very much a protector. And I wrote down in my notes that there are two protectors in this movie: Philip, the the lawyer Jason Alexander, is Edward's protector for for mm-hmm. better purposes, and Bernard becomes Vivian's protector in the film. Did you get that?
2: No, I I, I can see Bernard. I can I can agree with you on that. I agree with you on that, but when we get to the end of the movie, Richard Gere has a good line where Jason Alexander's like, I did it all for you, Edward, I did it all for you, and Richard Gere's like, no, or Edward's like, no, you didn't, you did it for yourself, you like the chase, you like the kill. I I think that, I mean, Jason Alexander was just, if he was protecting Edward, he was protecting Edward in Philip Stuckey's own self-interest. He was, whereas Bernard was protecting Vivian for Vivian's own self-interest. He was being, Mm -hmm. being giving about that and being kind and being a good hearted person, being a good Samaritan. Whereas Philip was just being just a jerk. He just did it because he was afraid if, if um, Vivian got her claws in, unquote, unquote, then everything he and Edward had worked for would be gone. And I think that is for philip stuckey's own self-interest not necessarily edward's
0: yeah, that's a really interesting point i i didn't take that away from it but i listened to it and thinking about it you're you're dead on stuckey's protectorship of of edward is is only for his own interest bernard yeah. you get the feeling is just protecting reputation of his hotel and of his you know one of his favorite guests because they know edward you know from business and, and of course uh-huh. he's a lot of money there And he genuinely likes her because they really strike up that conversation. She tries to go shopping. She gets snubbed by the snooty women in the store because she doesn't look right, even though she's got a wad of cash to spend. She comes back upset, and that's when he confronts her and he picks up the phone and she's like, great, you know, tell the cops. I said, hey. And he calls a friend of his at a department store to help her buy a cocktail dress. He actually extends genuine kindness to her. And it's the first time you, you realize that, you know, he actually cares about this woman and wants to make sure she, she gets the right dress.
2: And maybe it's because the character, despite being, and I, I think, I think a, prostitution prostitution has a and this is the liberal coming out of me I think prostitution has a bad connotation because I have gotten on my little soapbox at work because of Kate Gosling and I'm yeah. like at least if she was out being a prostitute she'd be doing an honest day's work. <laughs> so I think it gets a bad con- connotation but it doesn't mean they're bad people. You know I mean people say oh they have no self respect and blah 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 maybe they're doing this for a reason. I mean the economy's bad, you know. Who knows? But I, th- I think he, um, she, she's a good character and she's a good person. And I, Bernard sees this. He sees that in her. He, he's one person who looks deeper in her. Doesn't just see the, the whole year, as you call it and stuff, yeah. he sees the person and he sees deep down that she is a good person.
0: Well, that's also a function of the plot too, because I said, you know, Vivian gets on the hoe gear early. When they wake up the next morning, all the makeup is gone. And it's just <laughs> Julia with that long, bright, big red hair. And she undergoes a transformation and you can see the look on gears face. It's like, wow, she's, she's even prettier Without that, nothing even says, you know, she's like, yeah, Red. And he goes, better. You know, he's like, yeah, yeah he approves of it. And she never goes back to the gear again, like not even remotely close to it. Right. And, and I'm like, you know, this is a person who does what she does as a function of things that have happened to her. It's a great part of the story when they're laying in bed and she tells him, you know, look, I, I'm a bum magnet. I've always been with bad dudes. I followed one out here and then I got out here and had no job, no education, no bum. I did all these crummy little jobs, couldn't make ends meet. I met Kit and she talked about prostitution. Like it was, it was this glamorous thing and she was on her own and she had money. And, you know, I cried my whole way through it, but then I I just got used to it and I just got into it, but it's not my life. It's not who I am. And at that point, you've already figured out Vivian's much bigger person than what she is. And this is something that got cut in the theatrical, and it's one of the things that bugs me. Gear has a great line with her where he says, "I, I think you're an extraordinary person. I think that's all you've ever been since I've met you. And they had this great exchange about, you know, why he he starts believing in her and why he is attracted to her. It's them falling in love, but it's also, he has a lot of respect for her. And I want to say that about his character. There are a couple times he does things that are kind of jerky, and we'll get to those. But for the most part, Edward kind of goes out of his way to be very respectful and very nice. But he's also really open and honest, and he wants her to say, look... Just be what you are. I am what I am. We're here together. This is a job, and, which, and and I thought that was a neat point.
2: Which goes back to I was thinking as you were talking about this earlier is if you can't be open and honest with the prostitute, who can you be open <laughs> and honest with? Good point. I mean, I mean, like the old saying goes is you don't. And going back to the whole. Tiger Woods debacle and Charlie Sheen and everything. You don't pay them for what they do. You pay them to shut up. You know, yeah. you could go get it for free. That, you know, if, if you're Tiger Woods, which he did, he got it for free. He got porn stars, got everybody. You can go get it for free, but you know, you, the, if you pay for it, that'll shut them up. So, I mean, I'm just, when you, as you're saying this and maybe that's what, Edward needed, and you could see later in the movie when they're at the polo match where all these girls or all these women who are kind of like gold diggers or whatever are kind of like flirting with them and stuff, and are a little myth that he's off the market, quote unquote. So you could see that he's been dealing with women like that, women who play games and here and who play games and want, and here comes this woman who's so straightforward. And so open and so honest that that's really what he needed. He probably had these women who were just trying to snag a rich husband because he thought that's what you're, you know rich people are supposed to marry other rich people and, does it become rich and you you know you do this yeah this and that And that's the whole grand master plan and these women are playing the games and they're you know they're dolling up they their Gucci's and their Manolos and stuff and. Here's this streetwalker who's just, she is what she is. There's no point in pretending nothing's, you know, nothing's going to come of this probably. And that's really what he needed to open up,
0: maybe. Well, it's also, and we've mentioned it before, his his father, and he's got issues. His father was very wealthy, um, but left his mother for another woman and took all his money with him, as he said. So you get a feeling that they struggled for a lot of years. And ultimately, he, in his job and his business, the third company he ever took over was his dad's. He destroyed mm-hmm. his dad's reputation, but his dad dies a month before the events in this film. And there are references to it by different people and by Edward throughout this film, but you get the feeling that there is a lot of unresolved stuff for him there because it wasn't enough to just destroy his father. I get the feeling he didn't want to destroy him. What he wanted was to be understood and to be respected and to be loved. And he never got that from his father or his mother who probably dealt with her own issues for the fact that his father left and had to struggle and raise him. He's never had anybody to be on his side. He's had loyal employees his whole life. And what he knows is loyal employees are loyal to one thing the money. And as long as he's got that, he's got people like Stucky and even the limo driver, even the limo driver, or even like the, the hotel manager. There's that great scene where they're doing the, the montage of shopping. And he says, look, I, I'm, we're going to spend an obscene amount of money in here. And what we need is more people sucking up to us because that's what we really like. And it's a joke and it's a great line. But you get the feeling there's some reality to that, too. That's what this guy needs. But with this woman, she doesn't kiss his foot. She doesn't do any of that stuff to you know, fall out in front of him, but at the same light, she's opening up, letting him in, she's bringing him out. There, there's all kinds of neat relationship dynamics going on between the two of them, but Edward is a damaged guy, and he's starting to realize, I've got to verbalize this and deal with it, and he finally finds someone he feels like he can trust, and it's, it just happens to be in the form of this streetwalker.
2: Yeah, and that goes back to what I'm saying. If you can't trust a prostitute, <laughs> if you can't open up to a prostitute, who can you open up to? Yeah. I mean, yep. it goes back to my, my thinking of that. and that, So that, that's something I got from the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: With it is it, pretty interesting, though. But, you, you know, you, you mentioned all the different places he takes her. At some point, he confesses to Stucky who she is, what she is, basically not who she is, but what she is. Because he's worried, you know, she's a spy and all this stuff. And Stucky, of course, says something off color to her, and it bothers her. And it bothers her to a level that she gets mad and storms out and is going to just leave him, you know, for the week. This is before the, you know, the week's over. And he's like, fine, leave. And, you know, he turns around, walks away. She walks out, and then he goes out to the elevator to get her. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that was a great scene that they, they didn't have to do it that way. They could have played it so much bigger, but it's quiet. He goes out and says, I'm sorry. I I shouldn't have said that to him. I was just trying to calm him down. No excuse for my behavior. It won't happen again. And she says, don't let it, you know. And then that's when they have, you know, <laughs> you have a feeling they have the makeup sex. but They have that great conversation in bed where they're talk. She's talking about where she came from, how she got there he's already told her a lot about himself and he tells her, you know, he really thinks a lot of her and thinks she's got a lot of potential and all that kind of stuff. That's a line that pays off in the end too. But he says that same line that she uses on kid at the end about, we think you got a lot of potential. He says, I, I think you've got incredible potential, you know, and not only as a, as a, an employee, but as a person, you know, and all, they're, they're really connecting with each other at this point. And it's when you, you start to get the feeling that, He's loosening up around her, and it's making everybody else around him uncomfortable, especially Stucky. But he takes her off for the night to go to San Francisco. They fly on his private jet, and they go to the, the opera. And she, she has
2: that obscenely expensive <sighs> necklace on.
0: Oh, yeah, the, the quarter-million-dollar necklace, yeah. which that was actually real. cost that much. They had an armed guard on on the set. One of the best scenes, by the way, is when he clamps the little thing down yes. on her hand and it totally improv wasn't supposed to do it her reaction is actually real As they have this great day in San Francisco and there's all this kind of moody love songs going on in the background and there's a scene that got cut at the end of that, that that is probably the best thing that got chopped out of this this whole director's cut thing they go back to the blue banana to look for Kit again for some reason they're in the limo and Carlos and his thugs show up and Edward basically just goes all B A on him out in the parking lot and starts talking tough. And then his limo driver rolls up and he's got this huge gun, you know, and it scares him off. And then they get in the limo and they're like, "You don't ever come near her again." And blah blah blah. And it's, I'm gonna tell you, it's the most forced thing in the whole director's cut. It's good that that got cut because if you'd have seen that, you'd have been like, "So so Edward is now not only a cool guy and starting to lighten up, but now he's Chuck Norris." You know, I mean, that's really how it plays. And I'm sorry, Richard Gere can do a lot of things, but play yeah. a tough guy ain't one of them. <laughs> it's just no. not. It's, it's not what he does. I mean, he's played some smart, physically, you know, active people in his career. Playing a thug ain't one of them. It's not something he can do. And and they cut it and they're done with it. But it's a neat scene because it's more of them together and how close they're becoming with each other. And you there 's a great scene where they 're riding horseback together that pays off years later in Runaway bride you know that 's half of that movie mm-hmm. is somebody on a horse it, it, but you see that there, and my wife and I were going, "Oh my goodness, you know because we oddly enough we 've seen this movie enough, we actually own this dVD we had never watched it after having bought it you know on sale or something because we think we know the film, we never pay attention to it there 's one of the things you just you miss, and that 's kind of the end of the new stuff that gets thrown in there. But there's all these scenes where they're building up together, and then they have this, this – it's one of the best conversations in romantic comedies ever. They're out on the ledge. It's the last day. You know, He's going to close mm-hmm. the deal, and he, he sets it up for her. Look, I'll have you an apartment. I'll have you a job. You'll be taken care of. I'll see you when I come in town. He basically wants to keep this relationship going, but he wants to get her off the streets. Mm-hmm. And she turns him down, and I thought, you know what? this woman's not only smart, she's got some guts too, because she realizes I don't want to be your beck and call girl. I want to be your woman. I want to be the love of your life, you know? And I thought that was, that was a, the way she played, it was so, so good.
2: I I like that scene too. But before I get into that, I want to back up to the scene before that. Okay. We, um, To where you said, let's, right past the director's cut, they're home in the limo, they're playing chess. And she says, why don't you just take the day off? And he goes, well, I do own the company. And then of course it's a montage where they're, (laughs) I I mean, they're just doing stuff like in the park and he's talking on the, say by the bell cell phone. And uh, she turns it off and he's like, Hey, um, which in this day and age, that would never happen. But, um, you'd be like, you can't pry myself from, from my cold dead hands. (laughs) Um, or my iPhone. Don't pry my iPhone from my cold dead hands. <laughs> but um, um, So they do that. They go to like this cafe and have dinner or have coffee or something. They're walking around. Uh, they're walking around during the day and they're getting a hot dog and she's talking about cobble squatting and stuff. And they, and then at the end you see them in a cafe just laughing. And then, um, of course, and of course we go in and there's another sex scene, but what, and I think I've heard this either from Gary Marshall mm-hmm. or from, or maybe I've heard it in some kind of commentary or something, but in this next sex scene, they actually kiss each other on the mouth. Yeah. And oh yeah. That's all, a, all, all this stuff. And at the very beginning, at the very first time when he says okay let's relax for the night and they get into it and he's like what do you do she goes whatever you want but I don't kiss on the mouth and there are other points where they're they're getting intimate and he tries to kiss her on the mouth but she pulls away or stuff and she's ma- she makes comments that Kit says it's too personal and I agree I just do it blah 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 but I, I thought some, I think Gary Marshall said that, that this is their first kiss but you've got to look at it as they've gone this whole they've gone an hour doing god only knows what <laughs> and this is their first kiss and i thought that that was it was i don't know if it's the directing or the acting or whatever but it was a really good and tender moment and after having this whole movie of them doing god only knows what yeah. that still felt like i mean if it, it felt tender and genuine and not oh. forced and stuff like that. And I thought that was really important in a really good scene, a really important scene in the movie. It's actually one of my favorites.
0: Well, they, they've they had, they've been sexually intimate to this point, right. but they've never been emotionally intimate. They both talk about the reason they don't kiss the mouth is it's too personal. Well, they drop all the guards at that point. And, and they I just think, start making out with each other, and it, and it's all of and you can tell it feels like a first kiss. It's like we finally got these people together. They're yeah, finally gonna exactly. kiss. It's all uh, yeah. I I was there with you. I mean, it's one of those moments in the film that I always just I, I love it because it is so sweet and it's so tender and it's also earned. They earned that moment. Yeah with each other, going back and forth. They've had a couple of pretty good fights at this point, too. That, yeah, that is a total earned emotional payoff, and it's well-acted, it's well-directed. Well the whole thing works perfectly.
2: It does, and then we get to the next morning where they're at breakfast, yeah. and he makes his offer, like, I'm going to set you up in an apartment, and where she has, at this point, decided, well, I don't want to be your call, girl. I want to be your your girlfriend i you know I want to be your significant other and um I like the line she says he goes but it'll she goes I've never dreamed of someone going hey baby I'll set you up with a great condo and he comes off the line but at least he'll get you off the street if she comes up with another great line which is well that's just geography yeah saying it's I mean she's got a point it's the same principle you know you're paying for everything you're setting me up so I'll have sex with you and be your arm candy. It's She's right. It is yep. just geography. You know well, He's not offering her anything better than what she's got right now when she leaves this hotel room.
0: Well, and there's that great line. He says, I've never made you feel like a hooker. And he walks away and she says, you just did. And I nice. was like, wow. I mean, it's so powerful. You can tell that. it's hurting her. He leaves to go close the deal. Her friend Kit comes finally to pick up the money. Good grief. Where's Lars and Como been? But anyway, she, she, she comes and they have a great conversation out by the pool. Vivian is in her dress to the nines gear, her like stylish, casual gear kits in her standard gear and they're talking and you know, she's going, yeah, it's better to walk away. It is. And Kit's going, are you out of your mind? You know, you need to jump on this guy and, and, but they also have this sort of conversation you realize these people have known each other for a while and they, they know we can't keep living the life we're living we both got to get out of this he's right it's a good deal let's get out of the streets let's do something different and of course kit is the first one who says you you fall in love with this guy and of course she denies it but it's clear as a bell that she is she cares for edward in a way that is very different and very unique and he cares for her, too. He just doesn't know how to show it because he's so damaged, personally, for everything mm-hmm. that's happened to him, and he doesn't want to let go of it. We go to the scene where they're closing the deal, and we haven't talked about Ralph Bellamy, who plays the, the old man, Morris, in, in this movie. He's taken over his company. says, last role. You know him from uh, trading places and all kinds of stuff, y'all. If, you, if you, Vivian has talked to him before about, you know, you don't, do anything when you buy a company. You just break it up and sell it off. You don't buy anything. You don't make anything. You don't do anything. And his time with her has changed his outlook on how to do business. He sends everybody away (laughs) and they have this private conversation. He leaves the room and you realize he's, he's not going to liquidate the company. He's gonna buy it. They're gonna get the big government contract that he had stalled on before. He's gonna do something different for business, which of course sends his team into a complete tailspin because they don't know how to do work like that, and you brought it up before. Stucky's all about the kill. Jason Alexander flips out. He goes to the hotel to find Edward. He finds Vivian there, and I, I wanna tell you, this is the one scene in the film that I always felt really weird about he essentially, not only is he insulting her now, he attacks her and, and jumps physically, on top. Yeah. yeah, physically, he hits her, and Edward comes in right after that, of course, throws him out, knocks him, knocks him to the ground, tells him, get out of here, you're all about to kill. And then they have that scene where he's kind of putting ice on her cheek and stuff. I always felt awkward about the, the Jason Alexander attack scene, though I, I see its purpose. I felt weird about it.
2: Yeah, that is my least favorite scene and i think as you're describing the director's cut i think it they could have cut that 10 seconds out yeah i don't know if it was really necessary do you think it was necessary i think
0: you needed get him
2: the point across, well get she, the
0: point i'll tell you why i'll tell you why because she pays it off by saying there'll always be some guy like stucky that thinks that's allowed that, that'll know, that'll and that'll always happen, and that's why I can't stay with you ever, and I mean she says it to him, that's when she sort of breaks it off with him is that this will always be a thing, even though you and I are past this, and I think she lets him know, I know you're over the fact that I'm a I'm a prostitute, and I'm over the fact that you're this damaged, impossible relationship person, but I know this is going to be a thing, and I, I just can't do this because of people like this, and she gives up and walks away at that point and leaves him. And then I mean, we talk about there's there's 20 montages in this freaking movie, but we get a music video. That's because it's 1989,
2: 1990. They had to get they had to do all the 80s.
0: It must have been loved by rock set. I want to tell you there's some movies that came out in the 80s and 90s that had songs that just did something for the film. This one's got about four in it that really do stuff. This is the only one we really talked about my name, but. I, I mean, this one is, it's, I mean, it's pulling on you hard. Cause that's a, if you've ever heard that song, it's such yeah. a depressing song, but it's so poignant, and it's so take me to the prom or lose me forever. You know, it's got that, that feel to it. And you want one or both of them to go, would you just get over it and get back together? You know, you just feel this, ah, oh, this dread that this beautiful thing we've seen bloom in front of us is never going to get to grow. Be I know.
2: and I have to admit I had the soundtrack growing up growing up I had the soundtrack when I was about 15 16 cuz I wasn't driving yet and I had the soundtrack and it it is just I mean I wish I still had it I I was like I wonder if I still have it and I'm like no I'm not going through my iPod <laughs> I am not going up in my attic to see if I have it, or I'm not calling my mom to see if I have it, <laughs> but I I have had this. And I remember listening to it over and over in the song. You played me today, the King, um, King of wishful thinking, thinking yeah. and the rock set song. And there's a Natalie when she's on the first time when the women are mean to her, she's on um, Rodeo drive. And it's while, while women do it's Natalie Cole. Cole. Yep. And, I mean, it's, it's a really good soundtrack.
0: Good soundtracks. And this was the heyday of let's use popular music for the soundtrack, actually. And James James Newton Howard did the score for this. And, I mean, he's won Academy Awards. A beautiful score. But the thing that makes this is all the pop music in it. And I want to say, if it had come out at a different time, I think it would sound dated. But this was a time period when there was there was... You know the hair rock was out there, but there was a lot of cool top forty pop that was a mix of R and B and hip hop and rock and all this, and it works. And it's just the stuff that lasts forever. The songs like King of Wishful Thinking and Wild Women Do, and and even the remix they did of, of Pretty Woman from, from Laura Orbison, they gave it an extra drum loop. Yeah. You know? all, and then the Rock hit song uh, Must Have Been Love. Those are great songs, and they just inspire a moment. And I want to say, I mean, that was a big hit for Roxette. But I'm I'm as convinced that's as tied to this movie as anything else. When I hear that song, I think of this movie.
2: Oh, yeah, I do, too. And I think of Richard Gere up on the balcony. Just, oh, yeah. You know how he says he's afraid of heights? Yeah. He's up on the balcony, and he's just kind of peering, and he's like, oh, oh no, no. And she's in the limo. And, yes, I think of this movie. This, that song is synonymous with this movie. Just like I've gotten to a point when I hear – Roy Orbison's pretty woman, I think, of this movie.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, and you, you said it. Did they need the stucky scene? If they didn't have that, then what you have is Edward leaving this meeting, changing his whole way of business, and he comes back and gets Vivian. That is true. They put but in, I wasn't yeah.
2: saying the whole stucky scene. Like, I agree he should have come in and called her a. Horror, or whatever. But I don't know if he should have attacked her physically. That's what made me uncomfortable. I, I think the scene. I, I I do think the scene serves its purpose, like you said. Um, but I don't think he should have attacked her physically. I think that's more along the lines of this dark,
0: this yeah. dark
2: drama part. And because I just, and I mean, you've, you you got and you got to also think of when I've seen. I saw it when I was like. 14 or 15 which is when Seinfeld is in its heyday and here is George Costanza attacking
0: (laughs) Vivian. Yeah. You
2: know, I mean, it's, I I mean, maybe if I'd seen it like before when it came out it would make more sense but I just, I'm like you, that scene where where he physically attacks her is what makes me uncomfortable. Not that he comes in and is like, well, I see Edwards on your team, and I don't know why, because you're just a hooker. You're just a call girl. I, I, that makes sense, but I didn't see the need that he had to visit, physically attack her. It gets us through the plot. It's, it's, it's
0: it, nothing more, it gets us to the point where she leaves. He's checking out of the hotel, and now Bernard has had the limo driver from the hotel take her home, All right, mm-hmm. which is a plot point. Okay, I and I didn't take I never took this from it until I watched it this time I'm like that's on purpose. because he now knows where she lives and he's going to get that information. She's in there packing up. She's going to San Francisco because she's going to start a new life. She gives her uh, roommate some money who's you know she's already found somebody else to live there. She's already said I'm giving up, you know, prostitution. I'm going to go you do know, have to be a hairstylist. You, know, you you get some closure with Kit. She leaves and Vivian's packing up her stuff. She's getting ready to go. Edward's going to the airport, and he re- and as he's checking out the hotel, though, Bernard Thompson tells him, you know, the limo driver took Miss Vivian home yesterday. As, as if to say, if you want to go get her, there's one last chance to go get her. And somewhere, and it's not on camera, and I, I'll tell you what, Gary Marshall's a genius for not having somewhere where Richard Gere says, take me where she lives, all you see is Julia Roberts sort of looking around the apartment one last time, and then she hears this honking of the horn, and she hears the music from that opera that they went and saw together playing, and Richard Gere's riding up on the big white limo, the big white horse. He's got his umbrella out, a bunch of flowers, and he's like, Princess Vivian, I've come to rescue you, because she's talked about how she wants the knight to come rescue you, rescue her and not you know, set her up in a condo. He goes up the fire escape, which is that whole big thing about him being afraid of heights, and of course they're, they're together, and, uh, and, and it's a great line at the end of this film. And, I, and if you're going to end it on something, you've got to end it on this. He goes, what happens when the knight rescues the princess? She says she rescues him right back, and I realized then, I was like, these two people fall in love with each other because they realize they're the only two people on earth that can possibly deal with each other's baggage. And they just don't care anymore. And they want to be together. And and it's, it's such a neat moment and it's what you want. I mean, it makes you feel so good. It's a big popcorn moment.
2: It is. It is a wonderful moment. And this movie and why I think it's so well-liked and why I think it stood the test of time is because, I mean, it's a modern day fairy tale Mm -hmm. It is. and it has been built that, um, everything it is it is the instead of cinderella sitting by the ashes and the evil stepmother we got this streetwalker on hollywood boulevard with a mad pimp and you know richard gears the prince he's the rich classy guy in the white limo who rides up and saves her and they're gonna live and they go off into the sunset living happily ever after it is a modern day fairy tale and i mean everybody everybody loves a fairy tale for what, for whatever reason. I mean, maybe little boys don't so much, but you know, <laughs> oh, you know I, I, Hey, I'm going to tell you every, every boy that saw Julia Roberts
0: wanted to live that fairy tale. I'll tell you right true. now. I'm, so. I'm thinking
2: more of, I'm thinking more of like a snow white fairy tale. Yeah, well, maybe not that, but yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. It's You don't care, you don't care about some dwarves or something. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, it's just this modern day fairy tale. It's, Like you say, they have come to this realization that they are the only two people to put up with each other's baggage. They are meant for each other. They understand each other. And we just know that just like when you hear, just like for instance, when you, uh, which is why I'm kind of glad they never did a real sequel to this. Just like when you know, you hear Snow White or Cinderella and they say they lived happily ever after. You don't need something saying, "Well, they got married and they went on a honeymoon here and they had four kids and yeah. they de- they live in a castle up in the mountains and blah blah blah." You you just, it's just you have got that closure. They there there you just know they're gonna live happily ever after. Hey,
0: you know that's an interesting thing you said because I wrote in my notes that I remember every time before this time watching this. I always wanted to see another montage of them in New York together. Cause you figure that's where they go back to live. Right. But yeah, I was watching this this time and I said, you know what? No, that would have made this, uh, it would have been yet another montage, that's one thing, but it would have also cheapened the whole effect. The effect was, they're on the fire escape, she rescues him right back, and then you get the crazy guy that, that opened up the film going, it's Hollywood, gotta have a yeah. dream. You know, uh, you get that, and then you get Roy Orbison, and boom, you're out of it. And, it. and those screen wipes, and it's perfect. It is the perfect curtain drop on a on a romantic comedy. And, it, and it I want to tell you, for a romantic comedy, this thing has got so much going on in it, it's such a good film and we, we've come to the part where i think it's pretty obvious how we're going to do this but for for consistency sake, what play review do you give pretty woman
2: oh i would continuous play this played all the time if it's on network tv it's on tbs if you get a free dvd if it's a five dollar dvd at walmart you should get it because this this movie it's it's a perfect chick flick, you know, girls love it, it's got the whole fairy tale aspect, I think men will love it, one, because Julia Roberts is in it, and she's young, and she's hot in it, and, um, another, and another reason they love it, it's not too chick, it doesn't, it's not too chick flicky, you know, it's not all girly, and all girl power, all girly this, um, it's, it's like got a nice little mix of comedy and a nice little mix. It's not all clothes and all girly stuff. It has a nice little mix. And I think and you can agree or disagree with me on this. I think men could relate to the um, Edward character.
0: I agree. I echo what you said. This is a continuous play all the way. The DVD I own, I bought for five bucks. It's probably the reason we just had not watched it yet. But yeah, get this thing, watch it all the time I'm going to make a bold statement here a lot of romantic comedies out in the world I don't know that it's ever been done better in my lifetime I don't know that they ever got it as right as this movie gets it this one is a continuous no. play all the way. It's a perfect film. There's something in here, if you, especially if you're women. There's something in here if you're a guy. There's, there's a great drama to it. There's interesting story. The characters are great. The side characters are great. The music is awesome. This thing is incredible. See it now. See it often. Continuous play all the way on Pretty Woman. Thank oh, you, yeah, Dan, for great. joining me for this one. And th- thanks, folks, for downloading us the first episode of our romantic comedy <laughs> retrospective. Join us again next time on continuousplaypodcast.com, where we bring in Sandra Bullock and talk about while you were sleeping.
1: Thank you for listening to Continuous Plays Romantic Comedy Retrospective. Check out our other retrospectives on continuousplaypodcast.com and leave us a message in our forums or a review on iTunes or Zoom. Continuousplaypodcast.com and Continuous Play are not affiliated with any movie, television, book, music, or publishing-related company. All properties are copyright and trademark of their respective owners, and all rights are reserved. Tune in next time as we revisit While You are Sleeping.